All right, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. So we've been coming through the book of Acts together. There's a study guide that has gone around. It says Acts 9, 1 through 31. Verse 1 through 31. If you don't have one of those in the back, maybe you can throw a hand up. You might try to get any extras back to them. Alright, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. God, we praise you. And we praise your word. You are precious to us, God, and your word is precious to us. So, Lord, we ask you, please, open our eyes to it this morning. Lead us to a place of true response to you in worship and obedience in all ways that bring you glory. Please, Lord, help us this morning as we open your word. God, all throughout history, as your people have come together and you promised that you were there in the midst of us, God, you have moved your church, you moved your body, Lord, over and over again through the preaching of your word. God, we just ask you to do it again. Do it again, Lord. Give us light through the opening of your word. Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so Acts chapter 9, we're looking at verses 1 through 31 today. Now I want to begin with that last verse. We're doing Acts 9, 1 through 31, but I want to begin with the last verse, verse 31. But to get there, let me just briefly summarize what, what's found in verses 1 through 30. Let me just briefly summarize that and then we'll move to verse 31. You can break up verses 1 through 30 into two sections. You got Paul's conversion and call to be an apostle. His conversion and call to be an apostle. That's found in verses 1 through 19, where you see a hater of Christ have an encounter with Christ and become a follower of Christ. This happens in as he's taking a trip from Jerusalem to Damascus to persecute Christians. The persecutor actually actually is converted. That's in verses 1 through 19. And then the second section, you can break it up into verse 20 through 30. We see Saul's initial ministry. So he's saved, he's converted, he's called to be an apostle. And then we see in verses 20 through 30, his initial ministry. We see in the first part, his ministry in Damascus. And then we're going to see his ministry in Jerusalem. And then in verse 30, we're going to see Saul being left in Tarsus. And then we don't hear about him again for a little while in the book of Acts, but he's left in Tarsus, which is in modern day Turkey, this city, remember this for later, this city outside of the nation of Israel. That's where Saul is left. And then we come to verse 31, which is where I want to start. So look at verse 31 with me. So the church... 
throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, this is one of the many guideposts that you see kind of scattered throughout the book of Acts. They're like the refrain of a song. You know, the refrain of a song is that part of a song that you sing repetitively. You sing it over and over again. It kind of gives you the main point, the main feel of that song. Well, this is like one of the many refrains, or the refrain coming all the way through the book of Acts. This is another guidepost here in verse 31. Is summarizing what the book of Acts is about. Here we see that now, where are we at in church history? The church has spread throughout all of Israel, every region, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, it says. And the church is being built up. Uh oh, excuse me, I talk with my hands. <laughs> if I don't use my hands, I can't say what I need to say. So the church is being built up all over Israel. And we have this little God post in verse 31 that says here, this is where we're at in church history right now. Some of those other God posts scattered throughout the book of Acts. Let me just mention a few of them. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It's the initial God post. And it says that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Capital city of Israel there in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria, that's these regions of Israel, and to the ends of the earth. And it's really an outline for the book of Acts. Jerusalem, it's where the gospel goes initially. All Judea and Samaria, which is where we're at in Acts 9. And even to the ends of the earth, which is where we're going in the book of Acts. Also, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It says, the Lord was adding to his church day by day those who were being saved. So in Jerusalem, God is adding to his church day after day. Those who are being saved. It's this mission minded God post telling us where the book of Acts is going. Acts chapter five, verse 14. It says this. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. More than ever. In Jerusalem, souls are being saved. Men and women added to Christ. It's another God post here. Chapter 6, verse 7 would be another one. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That capital city in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the face. So notice all of these God posts so far have been in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. The word of God is spreading. Souls are being saved. That's the idea. And it's all been in Jerusalem. Then you get to Acts chapter 8 and the gospel begins to break out of Jerusalem, that capital city, and into these other regions. In chapter 8, we see it moving into Judea and Samaria. So we land in chapter 9, verse 31, and we see that the gospel has spread and the church has been planted in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, every region of the nation of Israel. Now it says here, the church, verse 31, the church, which Jesus promised, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. Jesus promised an all nation bride. 
So he's talking about the church here. The book of Acts is the fulfillment of these promises that he's raising up an all nations bride. The church of Jesus Christ. Now all over these three regions, it says here in verse 31, that the church had peace and was being built up. And all, all over Israel, the church is being built up, it says here, being edified, as it says in verse 31. In fact, it says that the church is walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And this is a beautiful contrast that should be found in every healthy local church. Beautiful contrast. Think about it. They're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of God where God's people see him as the glorious transcendent one, the, the magnificent one, the holy one that we tremble before, the judge of all the earth, the sovereign creator. His church is seeing him that way. They're walking in the fear of the Lord. But not only that, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, not only is he the glorious, maj majestic one, but he's the one that reaches out a hand to save. He's the one who rescues, the one who delivers, the personal God, that he's unknowable and yet he's knowable. He's incomprehensible, and yet we can know this God. And especially as he came, the scripture says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That the glorious one that is beyond our comprehension, that knows the number of stars and calls them all by name, he enters in to his creation to save and rescue and Jesus Goes to the cross and dies for sinners. So they're walking in not only the fear of the Lord, but the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And this beautiful contrast is popping up in the churches all over Israel. In every region, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it says in verse 30, 31, and they were multiplying. And it was multiplied. It's multiplied. It means the gospel is being preached. And therefore more gospel preachers are being raised up. Disciples are being made, therefore more disciple makers are being raised up. And through all of this, the church is being planted and grown all over Israel. And that's what this God post is telling. This is where we are in church history according to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. So in this point in history, I want you to think about it like this. If you understand what's coming in the book of Acts. It's like we're right there on the, on the, just right there on the brink, right there on the precipice of, of this explosion of the gospel into all nations. We're just right there. The gospel, the church has grown into all the regions of Israel, and it's about to erupt. It's about to explode out into all nations. And so what do we get first? Well, first, before that, let's look at the conversion and the calling of that apostle to the nations. That apostle to the Gentiles. And that's what we see in chapter 9, verse 1 through 30. Let's read the first half of that where we see his conversion and his calling to be an apostle. Let's read verse 1 through 19. Read it with me. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes, although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me. So that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So here's what I want you to see right here. What we're seeing is not only do we see Saul's conversion, which we spoke about a lot last week. Not only do we see Saul's Conversion, but we see his calling to be an apostle. I want you to see that clearly. What we're seeing here is his calling to be an apostle. Now, why should we view this, this passage of scripture as not only his conversion, but as his calling to be an apostle? And I'll give you two main reasons. One, because of the way that it's laid out in this passage. So in Acts chapter 9, in this passage, just like the other apostles, we know that Paul's an apostle from the Old New Testament. But just like the other apostles were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, Paul sees Jesus right here. Now, that's unlike anybody else in this room's conversion today. Nobody else was converted after you actually saw as an eyewitness the resurrected Jesus Christ. So, so the way it's laid out to us, this is a story of an, of an eyewitness testimony to the resurrected Christ. Because this is a calling for him. Not only is he converted, but a calling his calling as an apostle. And so if you look at verse 15, the thing that's said to Paul, the thing that's said about Paul is he saw Paul. Amen. He is a chosen instrument of mine. 
To do what? To carry my name to the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel. That he might know how much he's going to suffer for my name. So, so listen, this is his call to be that chosen instrument as an apostle to the Gentiles. An apostle to the world. So we know this is his call to apostleship. We also know that because the way that Paul refers to this event in, in the epistles of the New Testament, the letters that he wrote, was he referred to this, especially, for example, in Galatians chapter 1, he refers to this event as his calling to be an apostle by the will of God. His calling to be an apostle. And so here, here what we have is a record of Saul's conversion to Christ and of his calling to be an apostle. Now, I want you to remember how unique these apostles, I want you to remember how unique these men were, okay? Men who were called to be an apostle. These were, these were a group of men, unique group of men that were employed by Jesus to do a specific task for a specific point in church history. Their role as apostles does not continue on today. To be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus, according to Acts chapter 1 and other places in the New Testament. So this was, this was a very specific Unique role to be an apostle and Saul is being called to be one here in Acts chapter 9. And so here, here's why I'm telling you that there's a lot that, that, that needs to be imitated. When we think about looking at Saul's life, there's a lot of things that we ought to imitate. But, but what I also want us to see is the uniqueness of this man. There is a uniqueness to this Saul or Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. There's a uniqueness to this man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says about himself that he is the last of the apostles. That Jesus revealed himself as, an as, as a witness testimony to all the apostles. And he says, last of all, he revealed himself to me also as one born out of due time. As one untimely born. So he is the last of the apostles. He's very unique. He's an eyewitness in Acts 9. Just like the other apostles of seeing Jesus. That's unique. He possessed these signs of an apostle. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul says, did I not perform the signs of a true apostle among you? Because as we know, reading through the book of Acts, that the apostles had certain uh, miraculous signs and wonders that accompanied their ministry as a way of affirmation and other things. So, so, so Saul had the signs of an apostle. This man, just like the other apostles, wrote Holy Scripture used by God to write down the divine, divinely inspired word of God. I want you to see the uniqueness of Saul. And so... What we're seeing here, as we just read, is not just a random conversion of this man. It's not just a random conversion, but this is a call of an apostle of Jesus Christ that would be a, he would play a foundational role in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the first half of this calling and this conversion we looked at last week as Dustin walked us through verses one through nine. So we won't spend much time here. I'll just say a few things about it by way of summary. Paul uh, is headed to, he's coming from Jerusalem, headed to Damascus. He's going there breathing threats of murder. He wants to drag people to prison and he hopes they die that are Christians. But he encounters Christ, the risen Christ, the powerful Christ. And he falls down and he's blinded. And, and, and the place where it leaves him in verse 9 is he's in Damascus. He had to be taken by the hand and led there like a child. And he's blinded. And he's fasting and he's praying. And that's where he's left 
in verse 9. Now, I think the major takeaway from that, at least, at least as we're going to look at it today, is here's, here's the major takeaway from that. He, he saw Jesus. This man saw Jesus. And he would go on to talk about what he saw for the rest of his days. He would go on and on and on about it. He tells this story again in Acts 22. He tells this story again in Acts 26. It's all over the letters that he wrote. That's what the governor Felix said about Paul. Everybody says Jesus is dead. Paul thinks he's alive. He just went on and on and on about what he saw. Do you realize how persuasive this would have been for people living in Israel in that time? There they are in Israel. And this famous Jesus has been crucified. Everybody saw it. It's a famous death. He died on that tree. He was buried in the tomb. The tomb was protected. He's in the tomb. And yet here's all these people now saying that they've seen him walk on earth again. Okay, go check the tomb. Go check the tomb and see if it's true. The tomb's empty. What happened to this man? How is the tomb empty? And all these eyewitnesses saying, he's risen. We saw him walk on earth again. And that's persuasive, right? But can you imagine how much more persuasive when an enemy of Jesus, a hater of Jesus, that views Jesus as a heretic, and he, he has, there's nothing good that comes to him. Worldly in a worldly mindset, no benefit that comes to him by becoming a Christian. And yet this man rises up and said, I saw him. I saw the risen one. Can you imagine how persuasive this would have been in Israel to hear of Saul, the enemy of Christ, the Pharisee that saw the risen Christ and is now a follower of Jesus. Now, let's give attention to the second half of this. So there Saul converted. He's seen Christ. He's seen Christ. He's been called to be an apostle. And, and, and what we're seeing, if you start in verse 10, verse 10 through 19, is a guy named Ananias comes on the scene. Ananias is a disciple of Jesus. According to the rest of the scripture, he's a very well-respected disciple of Jesus, a very well-respected man, this man Ananias. And what we're going to see Jesus do is use him. He's a, he's a tool in the hand of our evangelistic Christ. We're going to see Jesus use him. So here's Ananias, a respected man. He's one of the ones that Saul was actually coming to destroy. Here's Ananias. Now, what does, what does Jesus tell Ananias to do? And you see it in verse 10 through 12. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So he says, Ananias, this guy named Saul is here and I want you to go visit him. I want you to go see him. Can you imagine how Ananias is feeling this moment. You want me to go see Saul, the one that's famous for murder, breathing threats of murder towards Christians. He, he can come here. He's here to arrest people like me. And you, Jesus, want me to. And so how does he respond? Look at verse 13. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. As if Jesus didn't know this already. Ananias informs Jesus and in his wisdom. 
Jesus, you know that he's here. He, he's here to, maybe you don't know about this, Lord. He's here to kill folks like us. Don't, don't you? And what he doesn't realize is that he, he's speaking as if, you can, you can feel the fear here, right? You feel the fear? And he's speaking as if Jesus doesn't know this. But what he doesn't know is what Jesus is doing in the heart of Saul. He didn't understand what God's doing. You ever stopped preaching? You ever halted preaching the gospel to somebody because you thought, oh, God never gets saved, right? And, here, and here's Jesus knows. Jesus knows what he's doing in the heart of this man. He says, Ananias, I want you to go to him. I want you to go to him. And so you got fear working in Ananias. You got this temptation for fear to overtake faith. He ought to just have faith in Christ, right? Just believe Jesus. If Jesus says go, it might seem dangerous. It might seem crazy. It might seem unthinkable, but just trust him. And he's tempted right here to let fear overtake his faith. And so what does Jesus say to him? And look at verse 15 and 16. Jesus says to him, go. Not a whole lot of comfort. Not, you're not going to die in an eyes. Everything's going to be good. Just Go. For he is a chosen instrument, instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So he tells him to go. He says this man is going to be a chosen instrument. Now this is, he's a unique man. Chosen, not as in the way all believers are chosen from, from before, the, before the foundation of the world. Not like that, but this man is chosen for a specific task. To carry my name to the Gentiles. Not an instrument as all Christians are instruments of Jesus. But a, a special, unique instrument. He's an apostle. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and he's a chosen instrument to do what? And it's two things. And I want you to remember these things for later. Two things I want you to remember for later. Chosen as an apostle to do what? Number one, it says in verse 15. To carry his name. To carry his name into these other places to carry his name. Number two, I'll show him how much he must suffer. Remember that for later. He's a chosen apostle to carry his name and to know how much he will suffer. So how does Ananias respond? You see it in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, so, so, so Ananias obeys Jesus. He, he obeys Jesus. He's, his faith overcame his fears. He had faith in that one, even though he was afraid. He had obvious reasons to be afraid, but he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed him. He trusted him. And he went to this man named Saul and did exactly what Jesus told him to do. Now, I love this picture of, of faith overcoming fear rather than letting fear overcome faith. In fact, I always think, I don't know why, maybe I just read them at a similar time, but I always think of this story. This example of Ananias, the same time I think of Moses in Exodus chapter 4. You remember Moses? I've referred to it a few times. Moses in Exodus 4, he's holding a staff and God says, uh, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, it's a staff. He says, throw it down on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground and it becomes a serpent. And this 80 year old man, it says it, go read it. He ran. I'm out of here. Next words, Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. You serious? So he reaches out his hand and it becomes a staff again. So here's this picture. He's obviously afraid. 
Will his fear overtake his faith? Or will he just believe in his God and trust his God and do what he told him to do? Just like Ananias here, his faith overcame his fear. And so what we see at the end of this passage and all the way to verse 19 is Saul becomes a Christian. He's a Christian. He gets, he gets, he comes to Christ. He has faith in Christ. His eyes are open. The shackles are removed. He's taken from darkness to light. He gets baptized. He becomes a Christian. So here in verse one through 19, we see Saul converted. And we also see his call to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. His call to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now here's, I want to make a claim. I want to make a claim. Reading Acts 9, 1 through, 1 through 19, reading this passage and seeing Paul being called out to be an apostle should make us do something. Here's the claim. It should cause us to ponder the all nations mission of Jesus. It should make us seeing Paul being called to be an apostle should make us ponder the all nations mission of Jesus. Now I need to explain that before I do. Let me say this. Now at Grace Community Church and our meetings together, we've been talking a lot lately, I believe, about the all nations, all people groups mission of Jesus Christ, right? We've been discussing that a lot. Now I want to remind you of something. That is not because of GCC mission strategy protocols. That's not it. It's not some wise idea from brilliant men. Then we'll just talk a lot about the Great Commission. No, the reason we're talking about it a lot is because we are bound by the exposition of Scripture and God's Word and the author of God's Word, God Himself, is more devoted to the all-nations mission than we are. And so it comes up again and again and again. Let me say it another way. If you are irritated with me or with Dustin or with anybody else, if you're irritated with us, because we just keep giving these pushes about unreached people groups and the all nation missions of Jesus. You're not irritated with us. You are irritated with the word of God. It keeps coming up for us. Why? Maybe we should listen. Maybe we should lean in. So why do I say this? Why do I say seeing the, the calling of the apostle, of the apostle Paul, his calling as an apostle. Why should that cause us to ponder the all nations mission of Jesus? One is because he is the apostle to the nations. You see, Saul is unique as an apostle, but he's also unique among the apostles. He's the apostle to the nations. We see it in verse 15. I'm raising him up so that he might he might carry my name to the Gentiles. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. You see it in Galatians 2 verse 7 and 8. As, as, as it speaks about the apostleship of Peter to the circumcised and the apostleship of Paul to the uncircumcised. He's, he's the apostle to the ends of the earth. He's the apostle to the, to the unreached ones. There's a uniqueness to Paul and his ministry that should make us ponder the all nations mission of Jesus. Now, secondly, this, if you look at the context of just the fact that he's the all nations apostle, but think about the context. OK, think about the context. We start in verse 31. And what do we see? Where are we at in the book of Acts? The, the gospel, the church is spread to all Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. It's all three regions of Israel. It's spread throughout all Israel. We looked at that a minute ago. OK. But, but what's the plan? Acts 1 8 said the plan is Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So we're right there on the verge of this explosion to all nations. Wait a minute. Let me tell you about the calling of the apostle to the nations. And by the way, when we get to the end of this passage, it's going to have Paul in Tarsus. Which, which in a real way is his hometown. But he's in Tarsus. I want you to think about this for a minute. He's, he's living. We're, we're right on the brink of the gospel erupting into all nations. And we've got the apostle to the nations living outside of Israel in that, in that area, in that region where the first missionary work will be done. We're supposed to be thinking about this all nation mission. Don't you feel the tension that it's coming? It's about to explode. The, the all nations apostle has been called out, and we're right on the verge of seeing it spread into every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so, what I want us to do, if that's true, if this stuff should cause us to ponder the all nations mission of Jesus, then I want us to do that. I want us to think about that for just a minute. Okay, so let's let's think about that. How, what is Jesus' heart towards unleashed people groups? What's, what's his heart towards all people groups on the planet? All uh, ethnic groups on the planet? What, what's his heart toward them? Think about Christ for a minute. Long, he, he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Think about his heart toward them for a minute. And then what about your heart? Does it line up with God's? Does your heart line up with God's as it relates to not just the place that you live, but to all nations. So here's what I want us to be thinking about. What about a church? Okay. What about Grace Community Church? What about a church where, where every heart burns for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go to the nations, for the gospel of Jesus to make it to every unreached people? What about a church where every soul burns for this? Not what we, a lot of us grew up in where, you know, yeah, that's what the missionaries do. We kind of do our thing here. Oh, this must be a missionary sermon. Like, not that kind of culture, but I'm talking about where every heart is burning to see the gospel go to the nations. Whether you act on that by going to those places or sending people to those places, regardless, your heart burns with a fire. I want to see it go, Lord. I want to see your gospel spread to the ends of the earth. What about a church like that? Now, I think the common objection is what? There's so much work to do here, right? There's so much work. There's so much work to do here. I was thinking earlier about uh, northern Yemen is, is about, you know, I think it's 8 million people or so in northern Yemen. And, and I heard uh, David Platt speaking recently about how many Christians are there. You know how many Christians are there in northern Yemen? About 20. You think about this. We, we in this small church, we've got more people in our fellowship groups than are in all of northern Yemen. But there's so much work to be done here, right? And there is so much work to be done here. But man, we, we need to have our mind filled. Think about this. There's 20 believers, 8 million people in this, in this unreached people group. I was thinking uh, earlier about the way it's broke my heart just thinking about the, the, the results of, of the gospel not being in a place. And I was thinking about what should the Christian response be to, to for example, special needs children? And it glorious what, the, what God's word calls us to, to love them, to care for the weak, to reach out a hand, to hold them up to these special needs kids. Isn't that a glorious thing that God's word calls you to, that the gospel of Jesus that you have calls you to? Isn't it beautiful what he calls you to? 
And then I hear about this story in northern, uh, excuse me, in the mountains of Nepal of a little girl with special needs tied up outside her house with the animals because she's cursed by her gods. And it makes you sick. You think, we need to get the gospel to these places. And God's raising up His all nations apostle. And we need to ponder the all nations mission of Jesus. Is your heart lined up with God's? It keeps coming up in the book of Acts again and again. Is your heart lined up with God's? Can you pray, God, line up my heart with your heart in this area? I want to take a second. I know I'm pausing in the middle of this passage. But I want to take a second to let's pray and ask God to do that with our hearts. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, it's such a glorious thing about you that you have promised to raise up an all-nations bride. And you promised that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are going to bow down to you in glorious worship and fullness of joy and in your presence, pleasure forevermore. You promised to raise that up, God. And Lord, we see your longings, God, that you desire them to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, would you please make us like you? God, I pray that the, the areas where we've grown numb to that, or where we just feel like it, it's, there's just so much to do here, and God, there is so much for us to do here, and we want to serve you faithfully here. But God, I pray that you would help us to see this reality that people are living and dying without hearing your gospel, and you commanded us to go to them, Lord. Give us your heart. I pray, Lord, that you would cause our hearts to burn. You would take men and women here whose hearts burn for the nations that send out missionaries and raise up men and women here that burn for the nations that go to unreached people groups. God, please raise that up. Raise it up for the glory of your name. Use this simple, weak church for these things. And God, you, you, you have helped us already. But God, we just ask for more. Help us, God, in this, please. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's kick it to that. So we're seeing this Saul converted and called to be an apostle. Move to verse 20 through 30. What we're going to see here is Saul's initial ministry. We're going to see Saul's initial ministry. Now, if we read this very carefully, we're going to read it in just a moment, but if we read it carefully... What we're going to see here is the initial outliving of what Jesus said to him in verse 15 and 16. You understand what I'm saying? So, so, so think about this. I told you those two things. Jesus raises him up as an apostle for what? One, to carry his name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. To carry his name. So we're going to see that lived out initially in verses 20 through 30. Also... He called him out to be an apostle that he might know how much he's going to suffer for his namesake. So we're about to see that also carried out. So those two things. He's going to carry the name of Christ out into the world. And, and he's going to suffer for the name of Christ. And we see the initial outliving of, of that in verses 20 through 30. Now we've talked a lot about Saul's uniqueness. But I also want to encourage you here that there are things about him that we need to imitate. So as we look at this initial ministry... I want you to think about how you and I need to be imitating Saul, soon to be called Paul. So be thinking about how to, how to imitate him. Because here's what we're about to read. We, we've already seen the big picture of the nations, but, 
this, this big picture, but we're about to see the boots on the ground, okay? So we, we, we've already seen this idea of this big picture, go to all nations, and our hearts need to burn. We're praying, God, make our hearts burn for all nations. And yet here's the boots on the ground. What do you do here and now as it relates to the mission of Jesus Christ? And I want you to imitate him. There's a, a quote, C.T. Studd, who so many of us enjoy reading. Uh, he has this quote, it's, 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 the light that shines the farthest shines brightest at home. And I think he might have been the one that made that quote. It's the light that shines the farthest, it's this big all, all nations picture, shines the brightest at home. And that's what we're going to see here, boots, boots on the ground here, okay? So <clears throat> I want us to look at this. It's, it's going to, verse 20 through 25, as you see on your study guide, if you have one, says this is his ministry in Damascus. Okay, we're going to see that. And then verses 26 through 30 is going to be his ministry in Jerusalem. So it's broken up into in Damascus and then into Jerusalem. Now, as we as we read this, here's a sentence and it's, and it's right there on your study guide. Don't you think about it like this. Here's what we see in Damascus and then we see it repeated in Jerusalem. And I believe we need to imitate it. OK, in Damascus, in Jerusalem, and we need to imitate it is this. In the context of a local church, is number one, in the context of a church, he, he, is, he is advancing the gospel, number two, and suffering for the name, number three. In the context of the church, advancing the gospel and suffering for the name. So let's look at that in verse 20 through 25 in Damascus. Now to get that first one, so keep that in mind, in the context of the church, advancing the gospel and suffering for the name. To get that first one in the context of the church, you really need to read 19, the second part of verse 19, which says this. It's at the beginning of a lot of your paragraphs. It says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So here's Saul, the converted one, the one called to be an apostle. And he's with those disciples at Damascus. Those uh, followers of Jesus at Damascus, like Ananias, those, those servants of Christ. The church of Jesus, he's there with them. So, so in the context of the church, number one, number two, advancing the gospel. Look at verse 20 through 22, advancing the gospel. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? They're going, isn't this the one that came to destroy the Christians? And here he is in the synagogues proclaiming Christ is the son of God. Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So here he is advancing the gospel in Damascus. Now there's two, two verbs there that I think can kind of be, stand out to you. One, it says that he is proclaiming. You see that verse 20? It says he's proclaiming Jesus. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming him as the son of God. This is like a herald of the gospel. It's like rising up like a prophet of old to announce the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's doing that in the synagogues. The other verb is, is in verse 22. It says proving. He's proving that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. This idea of proving is like 
joining the pieces together. It's like putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So not only a proclamation like a prophet of old, but imagine sitting down and taking this piece of the Bible and this piece and this piece and showing you how it all fits together to Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. He's doing that in Damascus. He's advancing the gospel in the context of the church. He's advancing the gospel outside into the synagogues and into that place there in Damascus. Now, now this is something that you can grow in. Do you know that? Look, look at verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength. Did you know this was something that he, what did it look like for him to increase in power, increase in strength and being one that advances the gospel of Jesus? What did it look like? What does it look like for you to advance the gospel of Jesus? And you can increase in this. You can grow in this. What was the core of his message? Verse 20, it says he was saying that Jesus is the son of God. That's the core of his message. It tells you what he's saying. He's saying Jesus is the son of God. He's proclaiming God is this triune God that we worship. Father, son, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But not three gods, one God. But they're not the same person. They're distinct persons, but, but one glorious God. And one of the persons of the Trinity, God the Son, takes on flesh. And he says, Jesus is not a mere man. He's the Son of God. Can you imagine him proclaiming that in the synagogues? What was the core of his message? Verse 22 says, he's proven that Jesus is the Christ. That's at the core of his message. He's the Christ. That sin entered the world. Read about it in Genesis 3. Sin entered the world. And we all deserve to die. We all deserve hell because of it. But right after sin enters the world, the Bible begins to tell us, God begins to reveal that there's coming a Christ. There's coming a Messiah who died for sinners and yet reign as king forever and ever and ever. And Paul is preaching that all over Damascus. That's the core of his message. The core of his message. So he got in the context of the church in Damascus. He's advancing the gospel. And number three, and he's suffering for the name. Look at verse 23 through 25. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So, so he, he's being, his life is being threatened here. There's death threats on his life. He's suffering, as Jesus said, for the sake of the name. Now what about, is this unique only to Paul? Is this unique only to this man, Saul the Apostle? Is it unique to him or is this for all Christians? And I, I'm not saying that everybody here will have at some point a death threat on your life. You might. You, you might have that like he did. But here's what we know for sure. Second Timothy 3.12. It says all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Listen to the promise. Will suffer persecution. It's not just unique to him. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So you see those three things in the context of the church, advancing the gospel and suffering for the name. That's in Damascus, verse 20 through 25. What about in Jerusalem? He has to flee Damascus because of the persecution. He lands in Jerusalem in verse 26. And we see again the same thing in the context of the church. Look at it, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, 
He attempted to join the disciples. I love that. That word join there is it's, he tried to associate himself with the disciples. It's the same word when, when a, a man and woman are joined together. Matthew 19, 6. They're joined together in marriage. He, he, it says here he tried to join the disciples. That, that word means he tried to glue himself together with or submit himself with. He tried to make it concrete. He tried to join the church there, join the disciples there. And they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They allowed fear to, to say, oh, I don't know about this. This is a guy that was, maybe it's a trick. Maybe it's a plan here. It's a guy, that's, this, it's a guy that stood there holding the clothes of those, stoning Stephen. So they don't allow him. But then Barnabas vouches for him. It says in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. So there we have it in the context of the church. He's, he's hooked himself in to the church at Jerusalem. We see him advancing the gospel. Keep, keep reading here. In verse 28 and 29. He's advancing the gospel. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. So again, you got two verbs here. You got he's preaching boldly. That's one Greek word. He's boldly preaching. One Greek word. It's this idea of boldness that he has put himself in some situations where he has to speak about Jesus and his gospel with some courage, with some boldness. That there's going to be temptations to fear. He didn't run for it, but he hits it head on with boldness and openness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one verb there. And the second verb is the one that says in verse 29. And he disputed against the Hellenists. So he, he's now he's speaking and it's a disputation against something. It's a it's confrontational arguing. You say, is there ever a time for that as a Christian? Well, you know, there's bad versions, right? Uh, you know, the sinful version. Uh, I'm sure you've done it. Me too. But there is this version of he is disputing against the hell. He is arguing. So, so not only is he uh, the, the first verb proclaiming and heralding. Not, not only is he. What, what was the second one? He, he's proving and putting the pieces together. Not only is he boldly preaching. But right here, he has this confrontational arguing that he's entering into, entering into for the advancement of the gospel. He's advancing the gospel here. And we also know as we just read verse 29. That he's suffering for the name. Look at the end of verse 29. But they were seeking to kill him. Again death threats on his life. And when the brothers learned this. They brought him down to Caesarea. And they sent him off to, to Tarsus. So again I say that suffering. Is that unique to the apostle Paul? Is that unique to him? Philippians 1.29 says. It's been granted to you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for the sake of the name. It's been granted to you not only, listen to it, not only to believe on him, but here, here's the other gift to suffer for the sake of the name. Now, I want to close out looking at this passage just by asking everybody here to apply these things to your life. This, this little sentence we've been working through. 
This, this idea of in the context of the church, as we see in Damascus and Jerusalem, advancing the gospel, as we see in Damascus and Jerusalem, and suffering for the sake of the name, as we see in Damascus and Jerusalem. I, I, I want to encourage you to, to live this out. This is boots on the ground stuff, okay? This is uh, the, the light that shines the farthest. We got this all nation, big picture heart that should be in our souls. And the light that shines the farthest shines brightest at home. This is boots on the ground. What do you do here? What do you do with the gospel? How do you, how do you walk this out here? So let me just put those before you and encourage you to apply these to your life. Number one, in the context of the local church, are you? Are you? You're obviously at a church meeting. You're at a church gathering. But, but are you in the context of a local church? Are you, are you, are you submitted in? Are you, did you, have you made it concrete that I belong to these people? That we're walking out life in the midst of the body of Christ as we see Saul doing in Damascus and in Jerusalem. Second one, advancing the gospel. Are you obeying Jesus and advancing the gospel? Are you, are you growing as it said Saul was, that he was increasing in strength. Are you growing in this? Are you advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can those four verbs be, be uh, plugged into your life somewhere? Can you find outlets for those four verbs where you, number one, are heralding the gospel like a prophet of old? Where you're, number two, uh, put, putting the pieces together. You imagine somebody sitting down with an open Bible saying, man, look at this verse right here and how that connects to this truth right here. And you're convincing them that Jesus is the Christ. Is there an outlet like that? What about the, the third one? Boldly preaching, boldly preaching the gospel. Are you putting yourself in scenarios where you need boldness? Or are you setting up your life to where, you know what, you don't really need much boldness. Because you set up your life to be in a position where you don't need it. But are you setting your life up in such a way that you actually need courage to open your mouth and herald the gospel of Jesus Christ? And this last one, this, this confrontational uh, arguing or dis, disputation, not the simple kind of arguing, but is, is there outlets for these things, these advancements of the gospel in your life? And then the last one, suffering for the name. Are you willing are you willing to suffer? It's promised to all those that would live out this make disciples life. Now I've often said this, that, that if we're going to be a church that takes the gospel to unreached people groups, knowing what those unreached people groups are, we've got to be a church that's willing to suffer. In fact, the kind of people that are going to take the gospel to unreached people groups and finish the mission are not the kind that worship comfort and all their Safety and stuff here, but, but it's people that are going to be willing to suffer for the sake of the name. That, those are the churches that are going to take it and finish the mission amongst, amongst unreached people groups. But I'll say this. I think it's the same thing here. Maybe you don't have death threats here. Maybe, maybe nobody's trying to cut off your head, behead you for the faith here in the place that you live. But listen to me. If you worship comfort here, you will not be an advancer of the gospel. You must be willing to suffer, willing to face discomfort. You're going to advance the gospel here. And maybe you're suffering now. And if you are, my question would be, this suffering that you experience now, do you view it as a Philippians 1.29? Not only faith, but also a, a gift that's been granted to you to suffer for his name's sake. Do you see it as a gift from him? Let's pray some of these things in and we'll just we'll close with that. Let's pray some of these things in our souls.
Father, thank you so much for this church, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, for making us family. Lord, thank you that you have grouped us together, Lord, as your disciples in this place. And God, I pray that you would give us the same kind of mindset. The same kind of mindset, God. God, we want to take your gospel to unreached people, people groups, to the nations. God, we want to do that. We want to burn with a fire for that. And God, right here where we live, Lord, make us faithful. Make us obedient right here where we are now. Help us, Lord, please. Help us to encourage one another, God, to be, to be joined in to one another, to be submitted in to, to one another. God, help us to herald your gospel like prophets of old. Fill us with a zeal, God, to prove you as the Messiah. And God, I pray that you would make us in the midst of that, make us a people willing to suffer. God, any idols that we have in our hearts of, of com comfort in this life, love of the things of this world, God, I pray that you tear down our idols. Tear down our idols, God, and unleash us on a world especially the unreached world, God, and even in the city we live for the glory of your name. Please, God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.